0: Right, talking points. Here we go. There are the seven up there. Uh, prize money deal, first of all, Richard Hoyles. This is the uh, prize money deal that um, suggested an extra five million into the, the ARC tracks. It had, I think, until Thursday to, to, for them to f- to fight out a deal. It didn't happen. Deal seems, for now at least, dead in the water. What do you make of
1: it? Yeah, I was waiting for that 11.59 press yeah. release that, that never occurred. Uh, it manifests a couple of issues. First of all, you can understand both sides of the argument. Most people would say that we have plenty of racing and so the addition of extra fixtures uh, waters down the product and eventually turns punters off. However, as regards the finances and the position that we're in, extra races do generate extra revenue for the levy, providing the results are correct through profits rather than turnover, a separate issue. Um, and for the sport who were looking to go to government to seek assistance with the levy, It's quite nuanced to then explain why you've turned down what was being put up as several million pounds for a few extra races on the all-weather. Now the question is, is this the right place to literally draw a line in the sand, certainly on on the all-weather sand, and fight your corner? Or would we have been better off to allow this through, it was a trial, to monitor whether it improved fields and to then consider the impact of the fixture list going forward and then lobby government in the interim saying this is the sort of thing we are doing but it is nowhere near enough and that's the dilemma it's very difficult to work out what side as an accountant I generally think give me the money Mm -hmm. and then I'll sort it out I do understand those that have the principle I might feel this was too early to draw the line at this point, but I can sympathise with those that did.
0: And it seems as though that not every group is singing from the same hymn sheet on well, it, i.e. Yeah. the NTF represented, but I mean, Rafe Beckett was on Nick Luck Daily talking about how they were they were against it because of the future of racing, but other trainers have since come out and said, hang on a second, we want the money.
1: I know, Broadchurch, hard to represent all, all aspects.
0: There's the bell, good. been some disgraceful overrunning recently. Yep, we're under pressure a, here. Mr. Luck, um, yep, just okay. not good enough. So <laughs> My sectional not...
1: time clock is yes. going. so okay. uh,
0: let's move on to uh, Oshim Murphy. Um, he's come out re- recently in uh, in the, the, the Sunday uh, segment today in the Racing Post saying, being very honest, he, he scared himself. Um, he hasn't had a drink since that incident uh, back on the, the Thursday before the Friday of Newmarket a good few weeks ago. Now... Uh, He's he's saying all the right things and it seems doing the right things as well. Now. Yeah,
1: obviously we genuinely hope so. When I was last in, we had Sheikh Farhad up there as one of those, and we were discussing mm-hmm. the incident off the back of it. And I suggested at the time that he'd been a little bit too dismissive and a little bit too glib about the issues, given that they appeared to be quite well known. The most important person who needs to be aware of the issues is the individual concerned, and O'Sheen clearly is aware of the issues that he's facing. And let's hope, like Kieran Schumacher like Ray Dawson, that. It is a specific incident that leads to great improvement and you almost have to look over the edge in order to retreat from it. And I hope that turns out to be the case for Ashin. You know, it's a personal battle and it's wrong for us to pontificate about it. But it clearly was beginning to impinge on his professional career and he realised that.
0: And the bit of racing news to come out of it is he has suggested at this stage, though it could change in the spring, that he's not likely to chase a fourth consecutive jockey's title because of the pressures it put on him.
1: Yes, and I think... You could see that in the last week. I mean obviously he took that spill at Salisbury, took a very heavy fall with me at Chelmsford and he just looked exhausted and it's interesting when we were talking about you know, the way that used to still be charging around until Doncaster on the last day to Wolverhampton at night, how people's views of what is sustainable as regards riding and acceptable now um, has changed since we've gone to the, the one meeting rule.
0: Yeah, that was the the statement he made um, that you can read today in the uh, Racing Post. And uh, he suggested that, that next year it may not be him going for a fourth consecutive jockey's title, which would be a, an incredible achievement. But let's see where he is in the spring. You, you never know. Sometimes he almost ends up going by, going for it by design, doesn't he, because of the horses he gets on. And Anyway, we will see um, Gordon Elliott jockeys. Now, um, there was a lot of talk about this in the week, uh, Richard. Gordon Elliott... Um, demanding, it seems, that Jack Kennedy ride his horse, Delta Work, as opposed to the Gold Cup winner, Manella Indo. that Davey Russell, um, hope he's OK, get well soon, Davey, uh, was uh, not to, to ride N. Y. Allen. Rachel Blackmore took over on both those horses. What did you make of it, Richard?
1: Uh, so I went and did a few numbers, specifically with Jack Kennedy as opposed to, to, to Davy Russell. And Jack's only had five rides for Henry de Bromhead that I could find this, this calendar year, 2021, in that time. He's ridden 142 when Gordon Elliott's held the licence and another 96 for Denise Foster. I think given that balance of power, irrespective of whether you suit Delta Work better or not, which he has won two grade ones on the horse, Mm. then I think Gordon was well within his rights to to claim that uh, he should have the use of Jack. Difficult position for Jack, but when the balance of your employment is so clearly in one direction. David Russell, not made of Cheveley Park, but the, the simple fact is that we know from... Interviews on this very program that that Chiefly Park, those horses were bought with a specific purpose of giving you know the Richardson family some fun later on in life, and they're not going to be ongoing. So I can understand in this instance my my sympathies, given the statistics, are with Gordon saying, "Hang on a second, I've got an important run in this race, and uh, who knows whether Rachel will be back on Millarinda anywhere, somewhere down the line." Is what what matters really not what we think, but what
0: Jack Kennedy and David Russell think? Because ultimately they they're, they're the they're the people that might think, you know, hang on, I can understand Jack Kennedy, for example, certainly thinking, I rode a Gold Cup winner on that. But he can't have been expecting to ride Manella Indo, can he, against a, a horse of Gordon?
1: It would be nice to ride it, but I think, you know, when you came into the yard having beaten Delta Work a short head on Manella Indo, you might feel that you maybe not have done your, necessarily, your position in the pecking order a great deal of good. Very hard for jockeys to juggle. From horse to horse, on day to day, some were very good at it. Yeah, I wouldn't fancy doing that, so I think it's understandable that Gordon claimed what he felt was rightfully his.
0: The Melbourne Cup is this uh, Tuesday, around about 4am uh, local time to here. Um, Set to only have one European runner, it seems, because of the, um, the the ongoing tests that they're having out there. Charlie Fellows has been very vocal about the, these tests that, that, that has put plenty off from travelling, and has meant that plenty haven't passed those um, vet tests out there. Can you understand why Racing Victoria have done it, um, but can you also understand those that now look at the race and say, it's not what it used to be?
1: Well, it's no longer an international race to the extent that it was. I think we've got Twilight Payment and Spanish Mission in the field at the moment, and Spanish Mission still with a potential cloud over vets. I yes, think the, although
0: they did pass the recent test. He, he did, yes, yeah, right. so we
1: may end up with two. Yeah. But the key point is that I think a lot of the comments that were made were about, this is obviously in the name of horse welfare, and I understand that... Um, in a very difficult position, but like we were in the Grand National, when your feature race has featured fatalities when it goes to a far wider audience and it puts the wider aspect of racing uh, in the limelight. So, something needed to be done. Do I agree with what was done? No, because it was too specific against one group. And the horse welfare issue of putting horses through. What was a very rigorous set of tests was in itself, you know, I know someone who was connected with one of those horses and it was sedated on several occasions Mm. to try and you know, pass the test. And then when we got there, Ishmael Mohammed horse came out, the Spanish mission's passing the vet. So does that raise questions as to the training centre at Werribee maybe should have been under Uh, far greater scrutiny? And there is the elephant in the room that
0: that is now being talked about more and more, that it's it's... It's nothing to do with the horses that are being taken out there or the European campaigns. It is, I think plenty would argue, or European trainers would argue, it is the we- Werribee training surface. It's not the fact that they train differently, they're not going up a, a hill, but they're suddenly being trained on a track, because it doesn't happen when they go out to Dubai, for example. Well,
1: no, and Japan's, you know, Japan's a really good example, because obviously, you know, the ground's far quicker in Dubai. Yeah. So I think the danger is, is it welfare or is it protectionism? And it depends which country you come from, you know, as to which case you point. But we're one up after the cricket yesterday anyway, so... <laughs> Yeah, easy. Yeah, I feel right. we should be given two for we'll that. We're losing the semi-final to them, you know. That. Probably, yeah. yeah. Um, I'll, I'll leave fi- for the end fine. anyway. Yeah. I'll get
0: that out there. Uh, sales <laughs> results, Richard. Um, this is well. First of all, though, this is something that David touched on. Um, The the, the horses in training sales um, recently seemingly have done very well. Um, David Dennis, who was in earlier, suggesting that you wouldn't know there's been a a global pandemic or any financial struggles across the the country. Much of that is foreign investment coming in from we're now seeing
1: more Bahraini investment, Saudi investment. Is this a good thing for for the sport? I don't think, again, separating it all out is quite hard, isn't it? Um, I think... It's always been puzzling, again, with my old accounting hat on how you can spend that amount of money, particularly, say, on jumpers, for example, and expect to recoup it. But there's no doubt that the balance of power has shifted in terms of the progression in the Middle East, um, the buying power of Saudi, Bahrain, effectively tacking themselves onto the Dubai Carnival to make a whole period for race, horse races. But 85 plus rated horses and giving them opportunities when we've really got very little in terms. Of we've got very good all-weather series, which is very good, mm. but it, you know, it, it caters for a smaller group of horses. So economics come into display. You go where the money is, and that's a big talking point in its own right. But we should expect that. Where they'll be trained will be interesting. Are they being targeted at the Saudi Cup, having been trained here, or are they being trained out in Saudi Arabia under domestic trains will we see a major trainer switch over and have a satellite yard in Bahrain or a satellite mm. yard in Saudi before too much longer if they don't turn out to be massively successful. Which we've those. seen it
0: with Simon Crisford in Dubai, absolutely. Brian
1: Meehan's going to have a satellite yard in France. Yeah absolutely. So I think we can be horrified about you know where these horses are going and the amounts that are being paid we just have to accept that we're not in a good place, we know we're not in a good place prize money, we need to rebuild, we need to build up our own product um, Australia, horses being bought to go over there. I mean, you know, um, jo- you can look at Joseph O'Brien's success with the state of play that won, you know, two ways. Australians saying, well, oh, there you go, you can pass these tests and, you know, you're, you're absolutely fine. Um, I might say that it shows how bad the rest of them are if you can pause through that and he still yeah. beats them. And that, and that creates opportunity. And that's where people buy into opportunity. Once the market is saturated, you go somewhere else. Tough time for Britain and Irish racing at the moment. But um, we shouldn't be too concerned if that's following the prize money,
0: state of play doesn't seem right. No, he was it's not state, state, of play, rest. It's state, state, state of play. State of, state of to play. play. I knew as I said I was well, looking at correct. Me. I I thinking, thinking, Yeah, I'm I've got Williams. no, yeah. exactly.
1: The, the horse that runs on in the Welsh National. He, yeah, yeah he, he, exactly. Well, mind yeah. you, he might have a chance in the Melbourne Cup. You, you never know.
0: Yeah, he just got to pass the vet. Right, novice handicap. Now this is novice handicap chases. This is something you raised, so take it away, if you will.
1: Yeah. Okay. Look, this comes out every now and again, and it's a dilemma. If we had Dan on earlier, and Harry Skelton have obviously you know spoken about, they ran third time lucky in a novice chase. They're a very very few novice chases now because they are now novice handicaps. My problem with horses going straight into handicap company, uh, whether it be a novice or conventional handicaps, Venetia Williams, for example, often starts her horses in conventional handicaps, is it is based on a hurdles mark. Mm. And I still have problem with that. I still have this sort of, you know, you buy a point to pointer, has won a couple of races, and you run it three novice hurdles over two miles, you get a mark, and then you can go novice handicap chasing straight away with a horse that's obviously more adept at chasing, and the handicap can do nothing about it. You know, my solution to the novice chase fields has always been to force horses, not forces in, you know, to really make them, but so you can get a better understanding of their relative abilities over fences to force them to run in a couple of novice chases first. They can be novice chases with a ceiling in terms of bandings. It happens in Ireland, and I don't think it's any coincidence. I know there are some that are well out the back, and, you know, there's often short-priced favourites, and they dominate. But I just feel you don't get handicapped over hurdles on your bumper form And yet you're asked to go over a completely different discipline on your hurdles form. And that sticks with me. And what's happened is we had increasing number of novice handicaps, fewer novices, fewer beginners chases, which intermediate chases, really good one at Carlisle. Let's not automatically base a horse's chasing ability on its hurdles mark without the opportunity to see it at least twice. Over fences.
0: But the counter-argument to that is if you have a, a whole host of beginners or novice chases with a, a few short price favourites who, uh, who who you know are are 150-plus chasers, say, you are going to get plenty thinking, well, we don't want to finish too close to that.
1: Well, maybe, but at the same time, you get 4 runner under-novice chases at grade two with no runners. Yes. So, you know, at least from a betting point of view, there is an each-way perspective. It's not easily solvable, but I just... I still believe in the logic of my argument mm. about not handicapping them on hurdles for rather than just increasing the number of novice handicaps.
0: Pool betting, um, this is uh, in relation in the main to the world pool, um, uh, the tote world pool, which has seen a a big cash injection into the the tote because the world pool seemingly at the big meetings has been very successful. But um, is there an appetite for, for pool betting in the UK as far as you're concerned?
1: betting is the the one that suffered most really because the tote the takeover of the totes has occurred at you know it was a rundown product let's not argue about that um and obviously covid derived them of crowds the big problem is obviously liquidity the only way you're going to bet substantially on the tote if you're not going to kill your own price and it's very hard to know what your price will be when a substantial amount of money goes on so late that the dividend is changed whirlpool has shown us the capacity to increase turnover with innovation, greater bets, and the appetite on the world stage. But there is only a certain number of those races. You can't roll that out to Wednesday at Plumpton and expect people <laughs> in Hong Kong, A, to be allowed to bet, right, because they restrict the number of outside events they're uh, able to bet on, or somewhere like Japan to have any interest. But I do feel that pool betting, given that everything we've been speaking about, and we will be speaking about, with you know, problem gambling, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, I think the pool betting aspect for racing solution Many feel the tote boat sailed when it was, you know, um, betting shops were legalised. And so that's absolutely right. I was always told as an accountant, if you want to be a success, go to the most neglected part of a business. And to me, the most neglected part of the betting landscape, partly through no fault of their own, certainly through fault of their own going back, is tote betting. How you rejuvenate it is difficult. But if you can increase pool sizes on a daily basis, be innovative and reduce the takeouts initially to generate greater turnover, it is no doubt neglected. You can't just have the top and nothing in the middle. You've got world pool up there, mm. day-to-day down there. You've got to fill that gap in, but I still feel it has massive potential. We should see how a very smart management team take it forward.
0: Excellent sectionals. Great stuff, Richard. <laughs> Thank you very much bang. indeed. That is it for this week's Talking Points.